If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey guys, this is Nicole Van Tassel and... Erin Sadler. And we are back for another episode of the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. And today we're going to be talking about how we can use demonstrations or demos like appropriately and effectively and maybe how to not use them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that this kind of came from um, just seeing a lot of demos and seeing a lot of demos that like, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and all of that kind of stuff and really thinking about like how they're being used in the classroom and just making sure that they're being used effectively. Yeah. So one of the things that you pointed out was demo demos being kind of presented as this is my anchoring phenomena. And I think that, I mean, phenomena is such a hard thing to like get the hang of because I absolutely for the longest time thought a, a, a phenomenon was a demo or something because I was like well I'm not teaching physical science right now so I can't make anything explode in my classroom and I totally didn't I was obviously missing the point about what phenomena was because it doesn't have to be explosions um, or a flashbang like that and also it should not be happening in my classroom so <laughs> that doesn't matter um so I guess I just wanted to like say that like this is not a judgment if you've done demos as your phenomena or if you are planning to like it is hard to get the hang of phenomena but a demonstration is not like at its core a an anchor level phenomenon. It might be something that we could investigate in the classroom. It might be a phenomenon you used in an exploration, but it's not it's not your anchor. It's not grounding your whole unit together, right? Right. And I think that this comes like from that whole idea of like having a hook in the beginning of your lesson. And I think like, I think that a lot of times when we're making this shift to NGSS, we try to figure out like what it used to be like, and it used to be like this hook piece. Um, But the anchoring phenomenon serves more purpose than just to hook and engage students. Students are trying to figure out that anchoring phenomenon throughout the lesson sequence. So it really needs to be something that you can go back to over and over again. And it also really needs to be something that's real world. That's something that's like, that applies to the world around them and not just a lot of demos are like, you know, cool and, 
you know, interesting, but not necessarily like directly observable in the natural world. Right. Or like even the students don't see the connection to that, like the demo to, to the greater world, you know, like really children and, and adolescents and everybody, when we want to figure something out, if it is relevant to like just this situation or just this person, it's like, oh, okay, that's neat. But if it's relevant to explaining this situation here, oh, and that one over there, oh, and it's like general, generalizable, is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but that, I mean, that adds like that relevance factor and that interest factor, right? So we might see the connection between the demo and the real world, but our students don't. And that's why, that's where phenomena come in because- right. It's the thing that we're trying to figure out. Right. And the demo might help us do that. And we do that during our learning sequence, but not as your anchor. Yeah. Um, shoot, there was one other thing that you mentioned. Oh, and like about the word hook. And at the Facebook group the other day, um, somebody mentioned, they were asking about like your beginning ac- activity and all of that. And a teacher said something like, well, isn't this just like the hook? You know, they just change the name every 10 years or whatever. And I totally understand the sentiment. Well, I mean, I, I don't fully because I, I'm not like, I have been teaching as long as maybe the names have always changed or whatever, you know, like I know some teachers who've been teaching like 60 years, they're like, you know, it was this thing this decade. And then it was this thing the next decade. And I don't have that experience, but I do understand like the sentiment of, oh, it's the same thing. And they just put a new buzzword on it. Right. But I think that, I think the thing to think about if, if that's kind of your attitude or that's kind of your thought is like these, the words are different and they are reminiscent of, like you said, it's reminiscent of a hook, but it has a different purpose. Right. You know, when, when we learned about hooks or when we were taught to use hooks, it was all about just like capturing our students' attention, maybe like in that moment where we know angering phenomena have deeper purposes. They generate the questions that allow your units to truly be student-driven They um, provide that rationale and that relevance to the unit to show kids like, why should we learn this? Like, why is this important for us to know and understand? And how does this affect your life? Um, They, they, they help students connect all the disparate ideas so that they can see how science is like an interconnected web. And it's not just first genetics and then cells and then ecosystems, but like, no, it's all related. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that it's just important that yes, it is on the surface, it might seem like, oh, it's just the thing we stick at the beginning of the unit, but you really have to look at the purposes of it. And if you're only using it as a hook, you're, you're missing out on really a lot of the depths of like anchoring phenomena. But anyway, this was not an episode about anchoring phenomena. So I, sorry, I rambled on about that. <laughs> but, but maybe <laughs> we'll do that again sometime. Cause I think it's been a long time since we've talked about anchoring phenomena. So I'm yeah. writing that down on my list. Yeah. Oh, we should add that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So demos though, go ahead. Like, what were you, let's go back to what you're saying. <laughs> so I, I think that a lot of this is bred from, um, from the COVID restrictions and either teaching like virtually or um, teaching in a hybrid model where you're not allowed to like touch stuff and all of that. So teachers are trying to use demos in place of hands-on activities and labs. So yeah, yeah. and which is totally understandable. But I think just when we're thinking about like the purpose of labs that we 
we are also dropping that like confirmation style lab type thing that we're not doing that in our classroom anymore. And really what we're focusing on instead of this confirmation or this recipe style labs is focusing on the science and engineering practices and how can you incorporate those science and engineering practices rather than this cookie cutter lab. Yes. So I think that's where we can think about, you know, the cookie cutter lab obviously translated easily to the demo because it's like, instead of you doing everything, I'm just going to do it. And it's a bummer that you can't have it hands on, but hey, I can still do it and you can still see what happens. But like you said, when we're thinking about it more in like a 3D perspective, neither of those situations is really like ideal. But I think you can still use demos effectively, even with 3D instruction. I mean, like sometimes Um, if you think about, well, what other practice could I bring in or even what other cross-cutting concept? Because we don't always have to have it doesn't always have to be all three dimensions equally weighted. I mean, it rarely is. Right. So it can be maybe what other science and engineering practice, or maybe it's what cross-cutting concept can you see here? And can we talk about what you're observing through that lens? And that can be a way to add that three-dimensional nature to what might otherwise be a kind of cookie cutter content process. Um, But I think with demos, I think they lend themselves really well to an opportunity for students to collect data, you know, qualitative or quantitative if possible. Um, And then really the practice you would focus on is like analyzing and interpreting that data. Absolutely. Or you can even focus on like planning and carrying out investigations and having them look at like what you did and what are, how was that, that investigation set up? Like what was your independent variable and dependent variable and um, what, what was controlled in your, in your investigation? Yeah, that's good. Cause you don't have to give them that. They can really analyze that just from the methods that you've kind of shown them or even written out or whatever. Um, so that's so true. We can do planning and carrying out investigations in those bite-sized pieces. I think we forget, I like, I, sometimes I forget about that. Um, it doesn't have to be like the students are developing the whole investigation all the time. Sometimes it's just analyzing what other people did mm-hmm. and how did that impact their results and why did they choose to do it that way and all of that stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And like you said, um, tying it back to like a cross-cutting concept like can you identify a cause and effect relationship here or you know like what are the components of the system you know things like that it's really easily easy to tie those in and have it not only be a more active piece but also kind of more more three-dimensional yes I mean and even just talking about those things in that way it turns it from just watch what I'm doing here Mm -hmm. to like really be thinking about what you're seeing so it does shift it toward more of an active learner role and it gets students talking and it gets them like actively engaged in that that point you know we said in the other episode um whoever's doing the talking is doing the learning so they're really talking about what they're seeing and making connections with it and all of that um and I think a lot of labs too or demos too um, there's a teacher I'm working with and she was, she's doing the open Syed unit and there's one, um, activity where students would need to use spring scales to measure, to develop like an investigation and so on and so forth. And she's like, I can't send, I'm all virtual. I can't send spring scales to like my hundred some students. So she's, it was going to do like the lab as a demo, but then like her students can do a version of the lab, like without the spring scale, just making some qualitative Mm-hmm. observations of their own like I think it has to do with like noodles like spaghetti noodles and lasagna noodles or like 
something like that. And then like a ruler or something. So it's like not, obviously there's a lot of things that are not controlled for, but they can still experience, they can see the numbers that she collects in the demo. And then they can experience it themselves. Like, oh, it takes more force to try to break this pencil than it does to try to break the spaghetti noodle. So what can I, what conclusions can I draw about this experience that I've just played around with in my own home? And that's something that you don't have to say spaghetti noodles. You could say like find three skinny, skinny things. And maybe it's wood, maybe it's plastic, maybe it's metal, whatever they have lying around their house. Right. And they can still make those again, general, like qualitative observations and comparisons and just talk about their experience. And I think that adds to the demo that's being done as well. Absolutely. We did um, earlier this year when we were doing force in motion, we did something similar where I showed them the demo and I said, okay, can you like repeat this in some way at your house using the materials that you have? And it was looking at the difference between like, um, like looking at the relationship between like force and mass. So, you know, just like two different objects that feel different. So yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, obviously we, you know, it's great to have like hard data for them to analyze and we can give that to them, but mm-hmm. they can still have that experience of just playing with it themselves, right? Just exploring it with it, playing with it, figuring it out. Um, and we can add that as kind of a, an extra level t- to the demo. And when you keep it really open-ended like that, I think it, it does address some of like the equity issues that you might otherwise have. If like, do you have this supply or that supply? Because it doesn't really matter what supply. We can just talk about whatever you dug up or found or you know, have laying around. Yeah. And I think just in general, it makes a demo so much more effective if there's something that students are interacting with and doing themselves. So like, for example, we um, have been working on the rock cycle and it's, you know, like I can't send kids home with rocks, but I can say, Hey, go out in your backyard and see if you can find a rock and maybe think about like what type of rock it is and maybe show us like your rock that you brought in. Yeah. They're, they're doing something with it. And it's not just me showing them videos of demos and stuff like that. Cause it can get very dry very quickly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It just adds that kind of variation and the extra level to it. Um, Cause there's not anything wrong with demos. It's just sometimes we can improve how we're, we're using them. Exactly. Just make them a little bit more effective. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have anything else about demos. I don't think I have anything else about demos either. That was a pretty quick episode. If you are using demos, if you have found a really awesome way that you'd like to share, we'd love to highlight your ideas. You can reach out to us um, like on Instagram or or the website or any of that stuff. Um, We'd love to definitely hear from you. And, or if you have questions about using demos or incorporating the practices or anything that we've kind of talked about, again, just please reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Yeah, we definitely want to hear from you for sure. All right. Well, we will catch you on the next episode and have a wonderful uh, rest of your week. Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, 
I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.